Good evening to all of you. Hope your week and your day is going really good. And I'm thankful to be among you uh, this evening. Appreciate this time we have together. Appreciate um, this great study that we're going to be involved in here. I was telling our, our sister over here, my mother was not coming. And then she shows up. That's the kind of lady that she is. She, so, but I'm thankful my mom and sister are here. Uh, two of the meanest ladies on earth are here among us. And I say that with a great deal of love, of course. But, and you also understand the other side of that. It's an older sister and your mother. And they are, be honest, right? They are mean to you. So, but... Um, Anyway, we're going to be in John 8 and verse 43, another question that um, you've been studying this, this summer, looks like, according to Mark, you've been studying questions all year long, but this is a question that Jesus will ask. I do preach at the Midway Church of Christ uh, in Moulton, Alabama, it actually sits in between Moulton and Decatur on Highway 24, and I was telling uh, these little funnies, these um, it is so hot type lines of the day. So I'll try a couple on you. Um, it is so hot that uh, when you buy bread, it's toasted before you get home. It's so hot that when you catch your fish, they're fried already. But the one I liked that I read was, it is so hot that I saw two squirrels picking up nuts and they were using pot holders. So. <laughs> Or, um, this one said, um, it is so hot that uh, there was a police, policeman chasing a thief and they were both walking. So, anyway. It's good to be in this study. We'll be in John 8 and verse 43. And Jesus will ask this question. He said, why is it that you do not understand what I say? And then he answers it. You'll see there in your Bible. Uh, he answered, he says, it is because you cannot bear to hear uh, my word. So why is it that you cannot understand what I say? Uh, and it is because you cannot bear to hear uh, my word. He is speaking, and he has been for several chapters here in John. He is speaking to uh, several of the Jewish leaders, and also his disciples are, are close by. And so, um, basically, the Jewish leaders could not understand uh, Jesus' identity, the fact that he is indeed from heaven, that he is the Son of God. We want to take uh, this particular uh, area of the Bible and kind of answer this question uh, in such a way that it can help us as well. Okay. And so, we'll just, we'll just name off several different answers to this question, which is basically... Why don't we understand what Jesus says? Or in general, why do people in the world not understand what uh, Jesus has to say? Okay. And so we'll get started on that. Let's begin by noticing that sometimes we don't understand because we are worldly minded. Our mind is too focused on, on earthly things. In John chapter 8, if you'll notice beginning in about verse 37, Jesus will look to these Jewish 
leaders and he will say, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in your life. And then he'll go on to say, he says, the things that, that I speak, I speak these things because I have been with the Father, I have seen the Father. The things that you learn and you do and speak uh, also comes from your Father. But when he says your Father to them, he means the devil. Okay? We just keep reading. But if you look there in John eight thirty seven, and just let your eyes go down to about verse 43, you'll see what I mean. They respond by saying, well, we have Abraham as our father. Jesus said, Abraham would never behave like you folks are behaving. And then after just a little bit, they say to Jesus, well, we have God as our father. And then notice there in John 8, in about verse 42, Jesus says, if God was your father, then you would love me because I have come from God, I came from God, and I am here now among you. And then he goes to this question, which is ours tonight. Why is it that you do not understand me? Because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then the next verse, John eight forty four: You are of your father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning, and so forth. But notice that Jesus is telling them really in a very clear manner that you are too focused on this world. Notice on down, if you keep reading, in John chapter 8 and about verse 47, he, said, he says, Whoever is, is of God, then will hear my word. But he says to these Jewish leaders, he says, But you cannot hear my word because you are not of God. Okay. And there's really two ways of being. Either you are interested in God and you are really focused on Him, or you're focused on the world. And one reason they could not understand what Jesus was saying because they were so uh, tied to this world. They were so worldly uh, minded. Notice especially there in John 8, uh, 47. He says, whoever is of God hears my word. But you cannot because you are not of God. Turn over in your Bibles and compare this to Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2 where the apostle there, he says, some of you are in danger of not going to heaven, not enjoying enjoying the rest, R-E-S-T, that God has uh, prepared. And he says in, in Hebrews 4, verse 2, he says, it's not because you didn't have the same message. You've had the same message, message. You've had the same gospel as the rest of us. It's just that it does not profit you because it has not been mixed with faith or it has not been united with faith. You see, it takes a personal interest in the Lord. It takes a personal interest in spiritual matters. It takes effort on our part in order to understand the Word of God. Somebody might just show up at worship and say, well, I heard what you said, but I didn't get anything out of it. Or someone might say, well, I read the Scriptures, but that didn't mean anything to me. Well, that's on you. That's on that person. Because, you know, it's not all one-sided. It takes, it takes a desire from us to be able to understand what Jesus is trying to say to us in his word. In Matthew chapter 5, you remember in verse 6, Jesus, as part of his Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And notice right here in our context, in John, in John 7, verse 17, Jesus at the Feast of the Tabernacles and they were wondering, you know, how is this man knowing so much? He, he never really has 
uh, been in any of our schools. He never really learned officially. And Jesus says, if any man wills to know the will of God, then he shall know of the teaching, whether I speak of myself or whether I'm speaking from the Father up above. Okay. But notice what Jesus says in John 7, 17. If any man wills to know his will, he shall know. He shall know. And so it takes a great deal of personal interest on our part. It takes a spiritual mind uh, for us to know what Jesus is talking about. We must not be tied to worldly uh, matters. When we are tied to worldly matters, then we become very distracted. You know, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And he said, one problem with the seed is that it falls among uh, the thorny ground. It falls on thorny ground. And he explains in Luke 8, 14, that the thorny ground applies to us because when we receive the word, oftentimes the cares and the pleasures and the riches of life choke that word out, you see. If we're not of God, if we're not spiritually minded, if we don't really down deep and with all our heart really want to know about God, then eventually we're going to be distracted and it's going to be very difficult for us to learn his word. Again, right there in John, going back to John chapter 3 and verse 19, it is said there that this is, uh, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, referring to our Lord. The light has come into the world, but men love the darkness more than they love the light because their, their own deeds, their own works are evil. Okay. It comes down to what we really love. And this is one problem that the Jewish leaders were having. They were so in love with this world and so in love with being thought of as being something great in this world that um, they just could not see and understand what Jesus was saying. I'm sure some of you um, have spent a great deal of time in waiting rooms at, at the hospital, ICU waiting rooms maybe. You ever noticed how spiritually minded people are? When, when life has, has taken a turn for the worse? H have you ever noticed how, how very respectful people are in a, in a waiting room, in an ICU waiting room? I mean, their loved ones, their, their loved one's life is, is you know, hanging in the balance. They're not sure which way things are going to go. And, and they also understand other people in the waiting room have a loved one back there in the back and not sure how things are going to go. And when you're in there, people... People are just automatically spiritually minded. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to help each other. And you'll see a lot of them reading scripture and talking about praying for each other. And that's the way we must seek to try to be uh, all the time in our lives. So begin by saying that one reason that um, they had a difficult time understanding Jesus is because they were so worldly minded. And we have that trouble as well sometimes. In the second place, another reason that we have trouble understanding what Jesus uh, is saying is because um, we're not seeing the big picture. We're not seeing the big picture. And this was troublesome with the Jews in Jesus' day. If you go back to John chapter 6 and like verse 41, Jesus begins to say, I'm the bread, uh, the true bread that comes out uh, down from heaven. Okay. The, the Jews were supposed to, yes, remember their heritage 
And remember how that their own people were brought through the wilderness and God fed them manna from heaven. But they were also supposed from that, they were supposed to get the idea that there was a Messiah coming and someone coming into all this that was going on, what God was doing and bringing them through the wilderness to create a nation out of them was to bring Jesus into the world. In um, John chapter 7, uh, 37 and 38, Jesus talks about... um, you know, he stands up and he says, you know, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. Okay. And over and over in the Old Testament, God is known, like in Jeremiah 2 and 13, God is known as the fountain, the fountain of living waters. Okay. And so the Jews were supposed to be able to know about God from the old times and then recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the, the prophet, the Messiah uh, in the new times. And so they just had difficulty seeing the big picture. There in John chapter 8, in the latter part of the, the chapter, uh, they kept saying to Jesus, you know, we are of Abraham's seed. We have Abraham to our father. And Jesus says to them, you know, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it, and he was, he was glad. And he even says, before Abraham was, uh, I am. They were supposed to understand that God, through Abraham was creating a a nation with the uh, high purpose of bringing Christ into the world and bringing full salvation uh, and the full gospel uh, to the ears of all on earth. And yet, by not seeing this big picture, they missed so much of what Jesus was trying to say. The same thing occurs in our day. People miss, sometimes we miss, what things are really about because we, we, not, we, we can't see the big picture. Okay. Um, for example, I, I like to talk to people, uh, especially if, if I know I just have one or two shots at them as far as being able to study the Bible with them. I like to talk to them about how the New Testament is laid out. Okay. I, don't, I think it's obvious the New Testament has been brought to us in the order in which it has been brought uh, because it's so sensible. I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read those uh, books with an open heart, you're going to walk away being very impressed with the Son of God. Okay. Those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are meant to create a, a, an impression, a favorable impression toward Jesus, a belief in Jesus. And so the very next book in line is the book of Acts because when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you come away saying, I want a relationship with the Son of God. I need the forgiveness that He offers. And then the book of Acts shows us exactly how to go about uh, having that blessing of forgiveness of sins and walking with Christ and doing His will. And then from Romans on throughout the rest of the New Testament, it shows us how to live for Christ. How to live for Christ. And so that's how it's laid out. It's kind of a big picture of the New Testament. And I, I truly believe, and I have seen people, uh, when, I, when I just said, said those few uh, simple things, that you can just see their, their mind like, yeah, you know, that, that does seem sensible. And it really does connect to uh, the Great Commission as Jesus gives it in Matthew 28 in verse 18 and 19 and 20. But notice in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Well, you learn that from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. You learn 
about the authority of Christ by reading about his life okay, and how he fulfilled prophecy and so forth. And then the next thing he says in the great commission uh, speech he gives there in Matthew 28, he says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations. You see that very thing happening in the book of Acts. He says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's exactly what his disciples are doing in the book of Acts. And then... In Matthew 28, verse 20, he sums up, or he finishes, he concludes the Great Commission by saying, Now when you do this, you need to be teaching them all things whatsoever, whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always until the end of the world. That's exactly what the rest of the New Testament is about, is about. From Romans all the way down through Jude, they are busy teaching Christians and teaching us uh, to observe all things. Now that we're baptized, now we've become a Christian uh, how to carry out uh, the will of Christ. And then Jesus, at the end of the Great Commission, he says, you know, and, and I am with you. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about, is to tell us again and again, the Lord is on his throne and he is with you, even through uh, difficult circumstances. And so when we get a hold of the big picture, then things begin to fall uh, into place. The other day we were discussing just a simple name Christian. You can do a lot by just studying uh, the word Christian. For one thing, we find out that um, it's a name given by God. It's not a nickname that's stuck. Okay, it, It's a name that is given uh, by God. My dad, years ago, used to coach Little League Baseball uh, in Jasper. And one year, as they were selecting uh, the teams, uh, he had, of course, selected my younger brother to be part of his team. That, that goes naturally in, in the selection process but he had another pick and he wasn't sure how that was going to go and they mentioned the park director mentioned that there was these two boys coming from North Carolina and um, nobody knew anything about them except they went by the name of chicken and rooster and nobody knew anything about them my dad said well I'll take those okay it turns out chicken and rooster were just almost professional baseball players and the other coaches claimed from that point on that my dad knew something about those boys that nobody else did, but he really didn't. He just got lucky, but they went by the names of Chicken and Rooster. I don't think I ever remember their real names, but the name Christian is a name given by God. Acts 11 and uh, verse 26, the, the disciples were called Christians first uh, in Antioch. And then you learn that this is the only name under which we serve. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 10 to 13, that, that following another man's name, trying to follow him, like some in Corinth were following Apollos, some were fo following um, Cephas, but, um, and some were saying, well, I'm following Paul. And Paul asked this question in 1 Corinthians 1, 13. He said, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of, um, of Paul? Of course, that's not the case, so follow Christ. Okay. So the word Christian has been given by God, and it is the only name under which we uh, serve. And you've got to become a Christian. You've got to become a Christian. Okay. You just don't wake up one morning and you're a Christian. And Paul explains that there in 1 Corinthians 1 and 13 when he asks these questions. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And of course, no, but who was? Christ was crucified for you and you were baptized in the name of, in the name of, of Christ. And so... The flip side of that is that when you really appreciate and accept the work that Jesus did on the cross for you 
and you understand that you needed that because of your sins, then you are ready to repent and be baptized. So that's how you become a Christian. And then the fourth thing about being a Christian is that you've got to wear that name with faithfulness. You know, Peter says concerning this name in 1 Peter 4 and 16 that uh, we are to glorify God in this name. And so I just simply say that to say, look at the big picture here. A lot of folks are walking around, if you were to ask them, you know, are you a Christian? They would say yes, but they've never really seen the big picture of what it means uh, to be a Christian. And same thing with baptism. You know, you can, uh, this time of year, especially baseball, I, I like to uh, talk to people about hitting a home run uh, with baptism. Because there are four major ideals about baptism. First, you've got to have the right element, which is water. Okay. When uh, Philip was talking to the eunuch and they, about Jesus, the eunuch uh, said, here is water. What does hinder me from being baptized? So the right element is water. The right action is a burial. We're buried with Christ, Romans 6, uh, 3 and 4. Okay. And the right person is one who is ready to, you know, definitely has a faith in Christ, but is ready to turn away from the sins of the world, turn away from his own sins, turn away from all that the devil has to offer, and commit himself to Christ. So you've got to have the right person. And then, of course, baptism must be for the right purpose. So you hit a home run. The purpose of baptism is for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. So to hit a home run with baptism, you've got to have the right element and you've got to have the right action, which is burial. And you've got to have the right person who's involved, which is a penitent believer. And then you've got to do it for the right purpose, which is for the remission of sins. A lot of people don't, they, they hear about baptism, but that right there, when you, when you hit a home run with baptism, that creates a big picture and that makes all the difference in the world. And that's one reason why they just were not understanding Jesus in his day it's because they were only looking at themselves. They were only looking at their, their Jewish heritage. They were only looking at their own family. They were looking toward the world and that creates uh, difficulty. It did then and it will for us today as well. A third reason that people do not understand uh, Jesus is because sometimes we have preconceived ideas about how things should be. Sometimes we have preconceived ideas about how things should be. Now look right here in John again, in John chapter 7 this time, verse 45. These Jewish leaders had sent a posse of men to just arrest Jesus. Go find something on him, arrest him, and bring him to us. Well, John 7:45. they came, but they didn't have Jesus. And they said, where is he? Why didn't you bring him? And they simply said, never man so spoke. Never man so spake. In other words, they were so impressed by Jesus' teaching, they, they didn't see any reason why they should, they should bring him and arrest him. And then the Jewish leader said, what, are you deceived? Are you from Galilee? Look around. Have any of the authorities, have any of the Pharisees believed on him? Okay, that should have clinched it right there. Just because the Pharisees believed and don't, don't believe, then they shouldn't believe. But then Nicodemus was in the midst there, and he said, he said does our law judge a man before it hears him, hears from him, and learns what he's doing? And then they said to Nicodemus, you search and see. These Jewish leaders said this. You search and see, and you'll find out that no prophet of God has ever come from Galilee. 
Okay. Now, were they right or wrong about that? Well, they were wrong because Jonah, if you, if you follow your Bible reference, it'll probably take you back to 2 Kings uh, 14 and verse 25, where it talks about Jonah being from Gath-Hefer, which is right up there in the area of Zebulon and, and Galilee. But that's no argument to make anyway. Okay? But their preconceived idea was that Jesus was supposed to come from somewhere else besides Galilee. Now, it seems like in John chapter 1 and verse 46, Nathanael had a similar problem. When Philip went and got Nathanael and said, We have found him, the one that Moses spoke about, the one the prophets spoke about, the one written about in the Psalms. We have found him. It is Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember what Nathanael said. He said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You see, now, to his credit, he went on. He went with Philip and he found Jesus and he listened to Jesus and he became a believer in Jesus. But he had that preconceived idea. And that can send us in the wrong direction so many times. So we have to be careful. We have a a neighbor across the street and she's she's a widow lady, very, very nice. And... She hires a, a crew of men to come in and cut her grass. And I'm a little bit envious of that because those guys come in there and they have a great combination. They have, they have one of these great wide zero-turn mowers and they've got about two guys on some powerful weed eaters. And in less than 15 minutes, her yard is done. I mean, they come in there. And I'm standing across the street thinking, guys, if you can do that in 15 minutes, you can do mine in, in 12 I mean, I'm thankful for what I've got. I've got about a 1996 Troy-built mower with a rechargeable weed eater, and it takes me a little bit longer uh, to do that. I mention that when I think of a powerful combination, I think about those guys showing up there on a Tuesday morning, and they pull up in this big truck and a a big trailer, and they get their, their tools out, and zip, 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 they are done with that yard. That's a powerful combination. But you know what the most powerful combination is in the world? It's an an open Bible and an open heart. An open Bible and an open mind is the most powerful thing on earth. And if we can put aside our preconceived ideas, then we will do much for the Lord. And if we can help people to overcome this obstacle of already thinking that something is or is not in Scripture because oftentimes what, what they think just simply isn't the case, if we can help them see through that, then uh, we can be a great help to them. Have you ever studied the Bible with someone and actually uh, they had their Bibles open, you had yours open, and you begin to read just a few passages, very simple passages, and they'll look to you and they'll say, I never knew that was in there. Why haven't I ever heard this? It's because they've had this preconceived idea. I was speaking with a man about three years ago, and he didn't call for me until he already had cancer and he only had a couple months left. But he asked me if I would come by his house as much as I could uh, once they sent him home. And I did, just as much as I could. He was the brother of one of our uh, members, and so I went. And one of the topics he asked about was the Lord's Supper. He said, why do y'all take the Lord's Supper so much? 
And so he just opened up the Bible and just showed a few scriptures. He followed along. And then tears started running down his, his face. He said, why hasn't my church ever told me this? This, is, this just makes good sense. It's because of preconceived ideas. One of the big ones out there today, and you know it if you pay much attention, but our religious friends just do not get it right about grace and works. The idea of works in the plan of God, uh, to mention that is almost uh, uh, speaking blasphemy in their eyes. They've been told that. They've been taught that by their religious preachers for so many years that they think there's no way to speak of the plan of God and use the idea of works being involved. But again, it goes back to that big picture. Okay. Think about the different works. Now, works are mentioned in the New Testament in a negative way. Romans 3.28 speaks of the works of the law. We're not, we're not justified by the works of the old law of Moses. Okay. That's what Romans 3.28 is talking about. And then Galatians 5 Verses 19 to 20 to 21 talks about the works of the flesh, and those are bad. You know, drunkenness, adultery, fornication, idolatry, those kinds of things. Although those works of the flesh are bad. Titus chapter 1, 15 to 16 mentions uh, the works of disobedience. Okay. By our works, um, we deny Him sometimes. So those are bad. But on the other hand, God has designed works of obedience for us to do in order to please Him and to be right uh, with Him. And in no way, are, when we obey those works, in no way when we read that, like in James 2, 14 to 26, talking about how faith and works tied together makes us have a perfect or complete faith, in no way are we saying to God, God, you know, you owe me because I'm doing this work. No, what we're doing in a humble way, we are looking at God's Word and we're saying, yep, He wants me to do that and I seek to please Him because He is my Creator and He loves me very much. He knows what's best uh, for me. But there's a pre preconceived ideal, ideal out there. And I, I've talked with several young men lately who have been uh, drenched in this ideal that you cannot speak of pleasing God with the idea of doing works of obedience. And um, so we have to be ready for that. So another reason why sometimes we misunderstand Jesus is because we have these preconceived ideals that we can't, we can't get around. It's like having uh, blinders on. Or I was, I was reading from um, Adam Fawn's uh, daily post, or daily blog that he has, and he had a title this week, called uh, spiritual earplugs. Sometimes we have in our ears sort of like spiritual earplugs where we, we can't hear. We can't hear what's being said because we have this preconceived notion. Over in John uh, 12, you might look at uh, verse 37 to 42, but 39 especially, John 12, 39, Jesus says uh, that there were some in his day who could not believe on him. Because they, they had hardened their heart so much. In fact, it says in John 12, 37, that though he did many works among them, mere miraculous works, still they would not believe in him. And this was a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verse 1, where it says back then, 
that uh, it asks the question, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Arm meaning strength. And Jesus come doing miraculous work, showing the power of God. Even though the very power of God was right in front of their face, yet they still could not believe in Him. That is the ultimate example of having a preconceived notion about someone or something. So that's, that would be another reason. A fourth reason is because sometimes we confuse literal and figurative meanings. And this became a problem for the Jews as well and for us. Jesus often taught in symbolic ways. And it should not have been hard to understand. Uh, it, just, it just sometimes threw them off. If you go back to John chapter 2, verse 18, for example... Uh, They were looking for a sign. They're always saying, Jesus, show us a sign. So this time Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it back. And then they looked at the big Jewish temple there and they said, it took 46 years to build this temple and you say you can build it back in three days. Of course, Jesus was not talking about that temple. He was talking about the temple of his body that he knew he would be crucified and in three days he'd be raised uh, from the dead. In fact, he says in John 10, 17 and 18, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power uh, to take it again. But notice how they got confused about that. In John chapter 3, you remember Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and Jesus told him, except you be born again and you cannot see the kingdom of God. He said, how can you be born again when you're so old? And uh, he said, uh, can you enter your mother's womb a second time? And of course, Jesus went on to explain to him the new birth. It said you'd be born of water and the Spirit. Then you can't enter into, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay. And so this is, there's one example after another after another of them being confused about, um, about literal and figurative meanings. Jump over for just a second. And when we hear a bell, what does it mean? Just keep preaching? Yeah. Just keep talking? Yeah. Okay. The kids are about to come back in. So They're about to come in. Okay. All right. So um, we'll, look at, um, we'll look at one here in John 8, and um, then we'll be done. John eight thirty three. Jesus had just said, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then these Jewish leaders said, We are Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Of course, Jesus wasn't talking about a bondage to men, per se. He was talking about bondage to sin, because in John 8, 34, he goes on to say, Whoever continues in sin becomes a slave to sin. And one reason that Jesus came, in fact, the main reason Jesus came, was to shed his blood so that we could be purchased out of this bondage of sin through his blood. And then uh, made free from that sin, we can become his servants. Okay. And so, but they were confused because uh, they were being uh, mixed up about the difference between literal meanings of words and figurative meanings. Okay. And so... These are just some of the reasons. How many did we do? Four reasons. There are a lot of reasons why people misunderstand what Jesus has to say. But definitely, uh, I think you can see that they were very focused on the world. 
They could not see the big picture. They had some preconceived ideas about Jesus that threw them off. And then these these figurative meanings that Jesus used. You know, he talked about uh, being the living water and the, the lady there in John 4, Jacob's well. She said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. How can you give me water? And of course, he had to explain to her that he meant the blessings uh, of salvation. Again and again, these types of meanings are, are brought out. Okay. Well, I appreciate uh, being with you this evening, and I hope this at least begins a good study of this question from John 8 and verse 43.